In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Quite a few years ago now, I had the chance to travel to India for a family wedding. And if you've ever had a chance to talk to me about that, you learned very quickly that I fell in love with the country and the history and the people, the warm hospitality that we experienced and the absolutely amazing food of South India. And all of that was certainly helped along by the celebration of the wedding itself. And one piece of it that I'll never forget is the scene where the groom, a distant relation of mine actually, turns up at the wedding riding an elephant and then dances his way into what is sort of like an antechamber, with dancing groomsmen all around him, and we're supposed to all be dancing too, and the bride and her family and the bridesmaids then met the groom there in the antechamber for the first part of the day's ceremony, and then everyone went into the wedding together to be seated and to begin the next part of the service, to participate in the meal and the celebration. Now, if you've ever been to an Indian wedding like this, you know that it's full of color, it's full of love and life and a celebration of joy. And for us, we experienced so much incredible hospitality. The welcome we received was really beautiful and amazing and really unlike any other welcome in my life. Um, my family was received into a brand new family that we had never met before, mostly, that we didn't know, who had had a very different life than we did. And there was no hesitation, there were no questions, there were no boundaries. We just suddenly were family. And it was one of those shining moments that we all have when you stop in the midst of everything and look around and you think this, this is really special. And it was the first time that I realized I could picture the parable that we heard this morning. Now, truthfully, this parable that Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew this morning is a difficult one. It's not the most warm and fuzzy by any stretch. It um, is not something that most of us have experienced unless you've been to a wedding like I've just described, but it was the custom at the time. And it's not entirely different um, from the feeling that I was trying to explain. The bridesmaids would wait for the bridegroom and everyone would go into the celebration together, joyfully. Once inside, the wedding feast would begin. Hospitality is, of course, we hear in scripture, a point of pride. There was always more than enough to go around and the celebrating and the revelry would last for days on end, sometimes weeks in very wealthy households, even months at a time. The text says that the kingdom of heaven is like bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom. And he's late, but when he shows up, they go into the feast together and they celebrate. And there is joy and family and connection and color and welcome and hospitality and love and life. Now that makes a ton of sense, doesn't it? That sounds like the Jesus that we know and love, the Jesus who is always painting a picture for us of this kingdom where there is no sorrow or sickness or pain or grief, a kingdom where there is instead only an abundance of joy, more than enough to go around, where everyone is welcome, where there's always more room, more hospitality, more food, more comfort, more love. If we could stop right there on this parable, it would be a good experience. That's a great image, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven is like a celebration, a feast, a gathering. We certainly hear that in other parts of scripture. So it works. We know it's true. 
How many of us right now would love to gather for something like that with our friends and family? How many of us are longing for that, for that joy, for that celebration? Except the problem with the parable is that there's more. <laughs> we can't just stop there. And the more in this case is uncomfortable. It doesn't sound like the Jesus that we know and love. And it starts with the problem of the foolish bridesmaids. Now notice in the story that all of the bridesmaids wait and they all fall asleep. So that's not the problem. The parable seems to acknowledge for us that waiting is hard. All of us know that feeling because all of us are doing too much waiting right now. We wait for news, we wait for vote counts, we wait for people, for test results. We're waiting for a vaccine. We're waiting for this virus to go away. We're waiting for life as we knew it to resume. We wait and we wait and we wait. Sometimes more patiently than others. Sometimes we're gracious and graceful and sometimes we're not. <laughs> and it feels to many of us, maybe in some ways to all of us, like there's also tension and conflict and anxiety in the midst of all of the waiting we are being asked to bear right now. As a people, we are divided and we are tired of waiting. We want clarity, we want safety, and we want life to look like it did eight months ago. In this last part of the season of Pentecost, these last few weeks before we enter the season of Advent, we hear a lot about waiting, as if it's trying to set us up for the waiting that we'll do in those four weeks before Christmas. Except in this season, the waiting is a little bit different. Matthew this morning is guiding us to a sense of waiting for not the first coming of Jesus, not Christmas, but the second coming, the second advent. And so Matthew is trying to describe the waiting that we all experience for the second coming of Jesus. We know that the ancient Christians believed that Jesus was coming back soon. In fact, we heard that in one of the canticles this morning. They believed Jesus was coming back immediately, tomorrow, maybe even yesterday, and you just didn't hear the news yet. And so there was some frustration and some disappointment when that didn't happen right away. It was their deeply held hope. In fact, there was more than some frustration. We know that it was devastating for early Christians, that they thought they only had to wait a little bit longer. And that didn't turn out to be the case. And remember that the early Christians at this point are suffering. They're being oppressed and persecuted by the Romans. They're being tortured and they're being killed for their faith. So asking them to wait felt very, very difficult. By the time Matthew is writing this gospel, some 30 years after, Paul is encouraging the early church to live through and to wait for Jesus. I have to believe 30 years later that some of these Christians hearing Matthew's words for the first time had given up hope, had settled into the idea that the promise was not something they would see, was not something that would come true for them. And what Matthew is trying to impress upon them and upon us is that if we are God's people, we still have to wait, to be alert, to be prepared, even when it feels to us like the bridegroom is very, very late. So now, some 2,000 years later, here we are, and the bridegroom still hasn't come, in this way, at least. Time is apparently not complete. And there are a hundred, at least, other things that we are waiting for, that we are anxious about, things that divide us from our neighbor. And like the early Christians, 
This parable has a few very clear things to say to us about hope, about being ready, and about our work while we wait. So first, let's look at these foolish bridesmaids, as the parable calls them, who clearly not who we want to be. I mean, really, who takes their lamp but doesn't take any extra oil? Isn't that sort of just simple preparedness? Why would you not take the extra flask, especially if you saw the other five bridesmaids picking up that extra flask of oil? Why would you do that? It's always nice and super easy to slip into that place of judgment, isn't it? But um, I'm afraid we don't belong there. Um, five bridesmaids think to bring the extra oil with them and five don't. But apparently there's no scarcity. <laughs> there's no shortage of oil because if the five had some and we know that later the other five can go buy some, it's not that the bridesmaids couldn't all access the oil. Apparently they all had a way to get more. They just didn't. They didn't bring it with them. They didn't get what they needed because they chose not to maybe, or because they didn't think deeply enough about it. Maybe because they forgot or they just weren't paying enough attention. And so at the very moment that each of their lamps was supposed to be lit to light the way for the bridegroom and his family and the bride's family, to light the way of the crowd, the, all the people who had come to gather and be part of the wedding feast, to light the way into the, into the celebration and ultimately to light the way into the kingdom of God, five of them couldn't shine their light. They couldn't light their lamp or be a beacon in the night or a bright spot in the darkness. They couldn't be part of the celebration or light someone else's way to joy or receive the gift of family and hospitality because they weren't ready. They didn't fill their lamp first. And so they missed it. They missed the kingdom, they missed the celebration and they missed the privilege of helping others find their way. Beloved of God, as we wait, as we wait for Jesus, as we wait for results, as we wait for unity and connection and for life, you are the light of the world. Each of you given a lamp to tend while we wait. A lamp that is meant to light the path for you, yes, but also for others, to show the way to the kingdom. Never forget that even when you don't know it, there are people looking to you, looking for light, needing for you to be ready, to have lit your lamp, to show the path in what you say and in what you do. Your light shines brightest when you choose goodness and kindness, when you serve the people in the community around you, when you choose the way of love, when you choose unity over division and peace over conflict, when you live out your baptismal covenant, seeking and serving Christ in all people and respecting the dignity of every human being. Listen to that again, all people and every human being. Your light shines brightest when you are living as a witness, as a living beacon, as a living sacrifice, an image of Jesus' love for the world, when you sacrifice yourself for the sake of others, when you work for justice and peace and equality, when you stand up for those who are suffering in dignity, then you are the light of the world, the light on the path to joy, the light by which others will learn about God and walk their own path into the kingdom. But my friends, you cannot do that well if you don't first take the time to fill your own lamps. You will not be ready for the work of waiting and for the work that takes place while we wait or for the celebration that comes with Jesus if you do not fill your lamp with oil first. 
if you don't keep extra oil at hand, if you don't acknowledge your need and your dependence on that oil, if you don't prepare. In scripture, there are so many references to the oil of gladness, which usually refers to a special kind of anointing from God, a setting aside of someone for a particular purpose, for a particular work, for a place in God's life and story. My friends, at your baptism, you received this oil. You received the heritage of this anointing, and you were brought into that story of God, given work to do. And as part of your baptismal covenant, you promised, or someone promised for you, and then at your confirmation, hopefully you promised for yourself, that you would keep seeking that oil to refill your own lamp by being a part of a faith community, by confessing your sins and studying scripture, by persisting in prayer and renouncing evil, and choosing to be part of God's work in the world. And to do that, we all have to draw near to God through study and scripture and through connections with a faith community like ours at St. Matt's. You will not be able to be the beacon that God made you to be, that God longs for you to be, and you will not be ready for the Lord when he comes if you don't take the time to fill your lamps now and always with the oil of gladness, with the knowledge of your relationship with God, with the promise of God's love for you, with the story of God's goodness, with the good news of Jesus Christ. And remember, just like for the bridesmaids, there is no shortage of this oil. In fact, there are many, many opportunities for you to fill your lamps to overflowing, to have an abundance of this oil. All you have to do is receive it and choose it. And really, who doesn't want to have that oil, to have the abundance of goodness and gladness? Who doesn't want that gift of light in their life? And there's one more thing about this parable that's important. While we wait for the advent of the Lord, the coming of Jesus that's described in this parable, the end of time, the completion of all things, theologically what we call the eschaton, while that might seem distant and far and hard for us to wrap our heads around, what is not distant is the presence of God, the love of God, the overflowing of the Spirit. God is very near to you even now. And the presence of God shows up all the time in big and little ways in our life, in the love we share with others, in the gift of service and sacrifice, in gratitude when we realize we have been able to give generously to a community that sustains the life and the faith of so many others. Maybe you find God's renewing presence in the wind or in the leaves or in the water. Maybe you know Jesus in the silence or in a symphony, but wherever you find him, filling our lamps with oil will help you see and know him better. It's a simple thing, honestly. The more you seek him, the more you will find him. The more you reach for him, the more you will feel comforted and sustained, and the more you open yourself up, filling your lamp with oil, the more you will be aware of the little advents, the little apparitions of the Lord in your life, which honestly make all the difference and turn out not to be so little after all. So beloved of God, how is it that you are filling your lamp with the oil of gladness? How are you journeying with others? How are you learning about God and God's work? How are you plugging in? How are you journeying on your own spiritual journey? How are you growing and changing 
How are you lighting your lamp to shine light on the path to the kingdom and to the celebration, not just for yourself, but for all the people around you? How much are you expectantly waiting for Jesus to show up in your life and in the world around you? Because I promise if you expect him, if you light your lamp, if you look for him, you will find him. He is already there. The world that we live in desperately needs your light. The people around you need you to light your lamp, to fill it, to bring extra flasks with you so that you don't run out of oil, and to remember that there is no shortage. So be on this journey with us. Fill your lamps and light them. And no matter how anxious you are, no matter how long we have to wait, if we fill our lamps together, we will see the advent of the Lord, the good news amid despair, the light that shines in the darkness, and the hope that never dies. Amen.